Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I've picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. back with another episode of Nobody Told Me That, and I have a longtime friend, Gerilyn Alfie, here with me. Hey, what's up? I am great. How are you doing, Teresa? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, we had a really good pregame just now, so I'm still kind of laughing. So this is going to be <laughs> a good one, people, because I've known her for a long time. First of all, she has a really fun personality, but she's also one of the smartest women I know. Like she had this boutique, beautiful practice in Chicago and you were super successful and you came to one of my career workshops that I hold with Dr. Stefanu and it's called Beyond the Operatory. Need to hold another one. I haven't had one in a while. And, yes, uh, you do. I know, They need right? your knowledge. So she came and she's like, I don't know. I think that there's something more for me. And of course, as you were talking, I was like, of course, she's going to do more. So what is going on? Like, why did you want to leave your practice? And and how did that shake out? That's a great question, Teresa. The reality is I loved doing dentistry. I absolutely loved my practice. I loved my team. I loved my patients. And I loved being able to change people's lives dramatically. I had three back surgeries. And my surgeon told me at one point, hey, Gerilyn, if you don't want to see me professionally anymore, you probably need to start thinking of a new profession. <laughs> and I said, uh, all right. Um, ironically, my doctor's name was Dr. Surgeon. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> I'm not. Dr. Surgeon Merkowitz. Yeah. So who else are you going to go to for to get your back sliced open than someone whose name is Surgeon, for goodness sake? Oh, that's but a so horrible <laughs> image. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, you're talking to dentists and dental people. They all I are know. used to the gory we stuff. Can, we can take um, it. Yeah. But so when he told me that after I had my last surgery, I wasn't ready to retire at that point. And I eked out another seven to eight years. I switched from sitting to standing for one thing. So all you younger dentists out there that are listening, I would get used to standing while you're working. It actually, you feel less tired at the end of the day. Your back is in a much better position. You take all of your strongest muscles and put them to work instead of sitting on your bum. That's has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, but something else that I've learned. And so I got to practice for about another eight years. And at that point, it had been 25 years that I've been practicing. And I started to have some big thoughts about what I want to do with the rest of my life. It was, I was very serious with my now husband. He loves to travel. As a solo practice owner, that was very challenging, as you can imagine. And I started to think, I think it's time for my next chapter. And I put my practice on the market, expecting it would take two to three years to sell. And it sold in nine months. And That's from amazing. the time that I, yeah, from the time I put it on the market to the time that it closed, my mom passed suddenly. Oh, we man. were not expecting it at all. I'm an yeah. only child. My family lives in New England and with my dad and my extended family. So as much as it was horrible and awful and the worst thing that ever happened to me, and I was in an abyss for a long time during this, I was, I always like to think about what could be great about this, even when challenging things happen to us. And even in my darkest depths of despair, I came up with the great thing about this is my mom went the way that she wanted to go because she didn't want to suffer with Alzheimer's that happened to my grandmother. She didn't want to lose her bodily functions and have people take care of her. My mom was the caretaker and she used to always say, I never want to be a burden on my family. So as hard as it was for all of us, it was the best thing for her 
And when I could finally get past the major pain, I started to see that. And so everything just, you know, I truly believe that the universe presents stuff to us. We don't always understand why, but if we trust the process and expect that the best things are going to come out of something, even when it doesn't seem like it at the moment, then it helps propel you forward. And so I was given the freedom at that point. Because when my practice sold, I could go back to Boston on a much more regular basis to help out my dad because he's elderly, not mm-hmm. mobile, doesn't use a computer. So, oh, bless. Okay. So, <laughs> um, you know, and then I went back and I, I was already starting on my MBA. I was doing it online because I was still doing, I was still practicing and owning my practice in Chicago when I started that. So I just ramped that up. And then I gave myself six months off because I said, I worked for 25 years. I never took a two weeks vacation. And I decided that wow. I was going to give myself permission to play for six months. Well, I only made it through three because you know me, Teresa, I can't just, you know, be, you know, like, that that was actually going to be my question. Like, did you really take? I don't believe that for a second. We did three months. We traveled like crazy. You know, we visited friends all over the country and other yeah, countries. Yeah. And, you know, and then I said, all right, enough of this. I spent the next three months planning our wedding because that was going to be in Boston that year. Well, that's and a lot I of work. Oh, that's yeah. a lot of work, for God's sake. Yeah. Oh, excuse yeah. me. I shouldn't say, take so, the Lord's name in vain. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but that's how I feel about it. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty much the beginning of July. And I thought, okay, it's been six months. You haven't done anything, you know, really purposeful. So time to get my thinking cap back on. What am I going to do to stimulate my brain here? And I kind of always knee jerked back to coaching or consulting because I was lucky enough to have gotten an amazing coach very early in my career. And I am 100% convinced that any successes I achieved in my life were a direct result of the people that I was lucky enough to take care of me at a very mm-hmm. early age in my dental practice as a leader, as a businesswoman, and as a communicator, because those are the three skills we're never taught in dental sc- school. And they are the three most important skills, yeah. I truly believe. Your dentistry, you're either going to master it or you're not. I hope mm-hmm. that you do, and I hope it happens quickly. But that is honestly the least important part of building a successful practice. And many times dentists miss that. Because it's not inherent in a lot of them, but it truly is the best way to build a fulfilling life. And I always believed that when you do the right things for the right reasons, the money follows. For sure. I I had a lot of thoughts when you were talking about that. So first of all, the standing up while assisting or dentisting. Uh, I yes. was cracking up because when I started out as an assistant, we both we both were standing and it, it yep. wasn't because of choice. We just had no room. The ops were so small. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then when we, we we built the offices, they were, you know, big ops and everything. And it took him a while to get to the point where he wanted to sit. And I was like, when I first sat on the stool, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I was much faster as an assistant standing up. But, you know, it things changed. But I was a terrible assistant anyways. So uh, I did. Oh, no. Oh, no. We need to talk. I was terrible. The, the high-speed suction was like a weapon in my hand. Um, so That's true for most people, Teresa. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> Rubber dam clamps flying across the room. Oh, it was terrible. So, uh, <laughs> but, but talking about um, having a coach early on in the career, I find when I talk to other coaching consultant colleagues, the one thing I notice is if they had the luck of having somebody early in their career, like for me... Our office hired Debbie Castagna as a coach, mm-hmm. and she was just, I mean, she showed me how to be empathetic and how to talk. And when I talk to other coaches, when they've had good coaches come into their office, not dentists necessarily, but managers, that makes a big difference because um, it shows them, you know, how it is. Whereas, I, I mean, and I don't want to throw them all in a bucket because there's different personality types, as you know, but ones who haven't had that example to draw from, 
they're really coming from a place of my way is awesome and I'm going to teach everybody my way rather than, you know, I've seen it modeled and now I can step out. So I, I get what you're saying about I saw what it was like and I saw how they operated and that could work for you, you know, with the with the Geraldine touch. Yeah. And the thing is, whenever I'm coaching teams and doctors on being better communicators, it's not it's never about being manipulative. I think sometimes uh-huh. people misunderstand being able to shift yourself to relate to that person where she is is the most important thing because people need connection. Even if you even if that isn't the most important value for you. Why do you think that after the pandemic, I predicted this, Teresa, I had my crystal ball out. I had predicted back in March of 2020. I said, I guarantee you in one year, the rate of suicides and depression and alcohol and drug abuse and child abuse and domestic abuse and suicide, all of that is going to skyrocket because what is the worst thing you can do to a prisoner in jail? Solitary. You stick them in solitary, and that's yep. what happened to all of us. Uh-huh. And so I keep stressing to my teams that I work with, people more than ever are craving connections with people. And you never know, you might be the one kind interaction they had all day. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For and sure. Until, that, and, you know, and that phone call that you that they make to you, they're already, nobody calls the dental office unless right. <laughs> they've been here forever. Nobody calls the office expecting it to be fun. So right. when they get surprised by the customer service and all, that's a win. So you're right. It could be the only positive interaction they have all day. You're okay. right. I didn't think about yeah. that. Yeah. As long as it's genuine. Yes. Well, I mean, I hope, right? My listeners was, are yeah. genuine. Yeah, my listeners yes. are genuine. Right. Yes. So, uh, but it's interesting you say that because um, it just came across my YouTube feed and I, I bookmarked it to watch it later, but there's a video called The Friendship Recession. And I thought, mm-hmm. wow, because... I see that all around. You know, I see it with my son and his friends. I mean, they they don't go out and meet a lot of new people unless it's through their online forums, discords, whatever. It's mm-hmm. very, we're, I don't want to say we're isolated because you look around, but you can be in a big crowd and feel lonely, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I think you're head on with the, or spot on with the, you know, the loneliness and the, the dark places for sure. And I think that the other challenge is that so many people are losing their communication skills and it is a skill mm-hmm. and it has to be learned and it has to be honed. And when you can do that better, then you're going to be more successful in every part of your life. But because so many people nowadays revert to text messaging and emailing, which are the two worst ways to communicate with people because yeah. it's not communication, right? No, it's not. When it comes to communication, about 7% of how we communicate are the actual words we choose. Mm-hmm. 93% is body language and tone. How many times have you heard somebody say, or maybe it's been said to you, or maybe you said it, you know, but, it wasn't what you said, it right. was how you said it. Because right. it does make a huge difference. And why do you think that the people at Apple, even though I bet that most of those engineers don't really have many empathetic bones in their body because that's not <laughs> how their brain works. And I don't mean that as a criticism, but why do you think they realize they have to come up with 5,000 emojis? Oh, because right. Because that's the only way that you can express your tone through the written word. And so not using that as your primary form of communication, especially when you want to have a conversation uh-huh. or a true dialogue is so important. And I am constantly stressing that to my teams as well. And I tell them, I understand that having a difficult or a challenging conversation with somebody that you have an upset with is frightening for a lot of people, but it shouldn't be a confrontation. There are right. ways to do it so that it doesn't put the other person on the defense. But the problem is when you rely only on text or email to have those conversations, it's verbal vomit. I vomit oh. on you and yep. then you have time to read it 
and get your knickers in a twist about it, and then you mm-hmm. vomit back on me, do you think that strengthens our relationship? And truly, no. if you want a successful practice, it's all about building relationships. Well, and now you have the ability to template your vomit. So like I, <laughs> you know, because I, you know, I get the same questions all the time and I always, you know, put something personal on there, but the big bulk of it is a template because it's the same thing. So, I mean, I hope I come across empathetic, but, you know, yeah. but but imagine if I had to take that over and over again, it would not be empathetic. So I think the templates are a blessing in that case. Yeah. But, you know, these emojis are, they are just confounding to me. Did you know? That if you, if somebody sends you a text and you put a thumbs up on it, like to me, that's not a big deal. That means they acknowledged it. They agree. My son, the 20 somethings, the, the, I don't even know what generation they are. This use, I don't know, but they, so if you send back a, um, a thumbs up, that's very insulting or annoying to them. Did you know that? I knew that it was in the, I believe Japanese culture. So yeah. So let me just, I, I need to do this here. Sorry. Um, because I'm getting a text and I'm just going to do a thumbs up. That's what I'm going to do. No, I'm kidding. Um, the, <laughs> but the thing is that, like, I, I said to my son, I said, so if I send you a thumbs up, is that annoying to you? He's like, yeah, that's lazy. I was like, what? I was totally blown away. But it's true because I had read it in an article that this generation thinks thumbs up is like, you don't have enough to text me. You don't have anything to say to me other than thumbs up. Like, it's lazy. And I was like, that's from not a generation lazy. that doesn't type out all of their words for real. See, <laughs> and I said, that's to me, that's efficient. Right. And he's like, no, no, that's very lazy. And so now now, of course, he gets thumbs up all the time just because I know so it bothers I, him. But the other part just is sending back K is OK. No, I hate that. See, all my no, friends but see, know but other people do that. Yeah. And I think he's looking for that. Like, OK, I hear you or OK, my <laughs> blessed son. I understand what you're saying. Is that what he wants? I don't get it. So now, though, like, but if somebody texts me back, OK or K, now I'm really annoyed because <laughs> I had to look to read your K and it, it's just that's so I don't know. So I totally went off on a tangent, but she just made me think about these darn emojis. <laughs> So, but you are good at communication and you have this test that you made me take. You didn't make me take it. I asked to take it. But there was a test that I took and it's something that you use. It's core for your coaching. In the pregame, people listen to this. She was talking to me in my language and she said, did you notice that I talked to you in your language? I was like, oh, no. Like that was, that was some CIA level stuff, Gerilyn. So, so tell me about this bank, this new way. It's new to me, and I think it's going to be new to a lot of people. A new, it's not, is it personality? It's more communication styles, right? Or what is it? Is it personality? It is personality, Teresa. So bank is an acronym. Okay. It stands for, the B is for blueprints, A is for action, N is for nurturing, and K is for knowledge. And it's it's similar in some ways to many of the other assessments that a lot of your listeners have probably already taken, like DISC or Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or Colby, where you're asked a series of questions and you're asked to rank what's most important to you. The difference between those And the way that the bank system works is this is based on your values, your core values. Now, I'm not saying like, I think it's okay to steal and you think it's not okay to steal. (laughs) No, no. I'm saying, you know, on a scale of one to five, how important are my relationships to me? On a scale of one to five, how comfortable am I with risk? On a scale of one to five, I have to have a proven program in place before I take the first step out of the door. So it's more about what 
really your inner DNA is, right? What's most important to you that drives the decisions that you make and how you act. I taught DISC for many, many years, and I've been using DISC for over 20 years. With my practice, I wasn't doing bank back then, but we used to do DISC profiling on all of our patients. All of my team, we all took our DISC profiles and we you know, determined what our behavioral patterns were. And we would figure out what our patients were too, because all of these systems, they work when you realize that when I can adapt myself to act and interact with this person in a way that is most comfortable for her, I have a much better chance of my message being heard with the intention that I have. With Bank, the way I see it is for doctors and their teams to be able to have a better feel for who am I interacting with on a regular basis. Because Teresa, your code was K was your primary and nurturing. So K was knowledge and mm -hmm. is nurturing. That was your secondary. B blueprint was your third and A action was your fourth. So for you with knowledge being your primary code, that means that these are the people that tend to be like analysts. They tend to love to get into the spread. Like if I gave you an Excel spreadsheet, you'd probably crack a bottle of champagne and be happy for like four hours, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not creating it. As long as I'm not creating the spreadsheet. Yeah, I'll You're look at it all day long. Right. I yeah. mean, what do you specialize in? You specialize in helping other people understand insurance, right? That is all details and data, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're, I mean, that just speaks your language, right? So people are usually driven to the types of professions that we choose based off of what we may not even identify as our strengths, Boom which head. are a basis of our values. And so for you, it makes total sense that you do what you do because part of knowledge is also that you love sharing your knowledge with others. You love being able to teach that to other people. And that also speaks to your second code, which is N, which is nurturing because it's all about building community. Gee, what are you doing right here? What have you been doing for like your entire career? Building a community of, you know, like-minded people supporting others, yeah. you know, ensuring yeah. that helping people reach their highest potential. Your blueprint part, like that's when we are looking at the systems, that uh -huh. it's important that we have predictability, that we want very little risk. And then action is your, your last one, which means that you don't embrace risk. You know, you aren't concerned yeah. with the flashy stuff. You no. don't care about notoriety. And, no. you know, none of these is right or wrong, right? That's the important thing is sometimes when people take any of these assessments, I saw it all the time when I was doing DISC assessments with teams. Sometimes people would use it as an excuse for bad behavior. How so? What do you mean? What With the DISC personality, because a lot of people know that, so I'll just use that for mm -hmm. a reference here. I was a very high D and a very high I mm -hmm. and a very mm -hmm. low S. I had almost no S. And a middle of the roads. <laughs> yeah. And so before I started working with my coach, before I started developing my emotional intelligence, because your emotional intelligence is really what infuses all of those, where what you have as a characteristic or a trait is either really good or really bad, depending upon how you use that, right? Mm -hmm. And I used to always joke, you know, use your power for good, not yeah. evil. If I'm a very high D with a very low emotional intelligence, I come across as domineering, as <laughs> condescending. No, you've never seen me act like that, Teresa, right? Because no, you've been later in life when I was more evolved. No, <laughs> I was going to say, not the condescending <laughs> part, but you definitely get things done. I mean, that's that's what I love about you is you're a doer. So I totally see that. But I'm just chuckling because the S and Cs are like non-existent on my profile. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't know how to talk to them. <laughs>
And so, you know, it's funny you said that because like, for instance, when I would have a new patient come in and at our morning huddle, my team uh -huh. would say, hey, Dr. Alfie, I just want to let you know. So um, Teresa's coming in at one o'clock and I think she's a really high S. And the team would just like pivot to look at me because they could see <laughs> that I immediately was like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be exhausting. <laughs> I would. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I would. I would make sure as I am walking toward that room, I slow my pace because people could hear me just, you know, buzzing around right. the office all the time, even in sneakers and I would slow my roll. Literally, I would make sure that my assistant announced to me before I came in, you know, she would just put a, a hand on the shoulder like Teresa. I just want to let you know, Dr. Alfie's ready to come in and meet you now. And she's uh -huh. so happy to do that. And I would like crawl into the treatment room. <laughs> Sit down very quietly, and I would have to slow how quickly I was talking. I would As pause a... a lot more. I'd have that late night, you know, DJ voice. <laughs> Make sure that I asked lots and lots and lots of supportive questions. Right, right. But you know what? Here's the thing. When I talk to teams about this, I'm reverting back to my usual, which is a high D, high I. And on the <laughs> bank thing, I'm like, High A, okay. I'm, I'm really, high yeah. That I see. High that, action, yeah. high nurturing. They're they're almost exactly the same for uh -huh. me. You know, the important thing to remember is when when I talk to teams or teams about this, and they say, "Well, God, Dr. Alfie, it sounds like I've got to be fake." And I say, no. I say, what is the reason that you do what you do? Why do you go into the dental office every single day to take well, care of other people? Well, I was going to say, you give some people that are like, I need to get paid, but you're that's well, the answer you're looking for, right? The hey, the taking oral health. Of yes, course. but why are you doing this to get paid rather than something else? You could go work for Microsoft and get paid. You could go work right. for Starbucks and get paid. You chose dentistry for a reason. It spoke right. to something in you, right? Uh -huh. And so if you can't communicate with your patient, you're not taking care of your patient. Because if your primary part of your vision and your mission for your practice is to provide the best possible care to every single person that you can, that means more than just fixing their darn teeth. Okay, sure. you're not in the tooth business, you're in the people business. And when your patients feel like you heard them, they will listen to your message. So that's beautiful because you said if you're not communicating with your patient, you're not taking care of your patient. Mm -hmm. That's a big shift. I think some people may not realize it needs to happen. And this was hard for me because I had this similar type shift years ago when I was probably three or four years into being a manager. And I realized that I used to come from this. Uh, they need to adapt to me. Why should I adapt to them? Like, I'm doing my job. I'm doing everything right. Why can't they just, you know? And it, it was very similar to the whole conversation we have about patients where it's like patients should be in charge of their benefits. I'm doing my job. They need to know their benefits. That's like you're totally missing the point. So when I got when I turned it around to say, you know, OK, I need to understand them. But I like you said, I'm not going to be fake because I'm not changing who I am. But I at least need to see where they're coming from and take that into account and try to communicate with them. One of the smartest men I know said to me a long time ago, you need to meet people where they are. That's not mm -hmm. a new saying. It's just something that he said to me at the right moment. And I heard it. And he's right. You need to meet people where they are. And you don't have to change. But there's some flexibility, right? Like there's nothing wrong with being flexible. And to me, that's what this is. And I think a lot of managers and dentists, well, people in general, 
they think that if they are going to adapt to somebody, that means that they're sacrificing their own personality. But that's not it at all. No. Is that the pushback that you get from people when you're trying when you're coaching them in this? Or are they are they open? I guess when they come to you, they're open to change at this point, right? Sometimes some of them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, darn. Okay. Hey, well, I mean, that's the reality. You know, I mean, often when I come in to coach, the doctor is the one that hires me, right? And uh-huh. so the doctor has made his or her decision that it's time for a change. And what I find is that a lot of times, even when the teams know in their heart of hearts that they need something to change, many times with team members, they tend to be very low risk, right? They're yes. very risk averse. Yes. And so... Until I can show them that what I am presenting to you, the work to do to make this change is actually less risky to you because do you realize how much you are hurting yourself and your practice staying where you are right now? Mm-hmm. You can't take the best possible care of your patients when you're not being taken care of yourself. Right. And if you feel unfulfilled in this practice, if the doctor can't make ends meet, if you can't upgrade your equipment, you know, whether it's your computers, your software, or your dental equipment, if you can't pay your team well, they yes. can't take care of your patients well. So why are you doing dentistry then? Yeah. It's less risky to change. Like, that's the thing that I realized that I had to present to teams is that as risk averse as most of them are, it is less risky to move in a different direction than it is to stay stuck where you are. Because I forget who said it first, but one of my favorite phrases is, a rut is just a grave with the ends kicked out. That's a good one. I have to remember that one. When people call you, are they concerned with communication with their team or with their patients? Or, I mean, usually, because sometimes doctors are like, I don't know, they just, things work back there and they think everything's great and they don't realize things are, like the wheels are coming off, right? Patients may love you. Oh, my patients are great. I'm a great communicator, but like you're a revolving door of employees. So. So do people call you for team communication or for patient communication, most of all? Here's what I found, Teresa, is that Mm -hmm. they usually, there are three main reasons that a doctor will call me. It'll be either my schedule's a mess, it's either too busy and not productive, or it's I've got holes and I'm not productive. Uh The second is my team either doesn't get along, doesn't listen to me, doesn't do what I say. And the third is my finances are a mess. And I try to explain them, doctor. It's because the first two things aren't working, but your third thing is showing up, Uh, right? And we never make decisions based only on the money. But almost across the board, when I come into an office that's really struggling, it's because their culture is completely cracked. And it starts at the top. The difference is that the doctors don't usually, and I'm using a blanket statement here, I'm just going off of my experiences and from talking to colleagues. Uh But often the doctors don't look in the mirror and don't understand that the reason that they're having challenges in their practice with their team is because they don't communicate well with their team. They don't feel like maybe they have to. I don't know. Uh Often, because usually also when they call me, they've never done deep dives on any of their reports, right? So whatever picture they've created in their head, like, oh yeah, my overhead is great. I'm like, okay, what is it? Well, it's around. I'm like, no, 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 don't give me an around. Overhead (laughs) is not moshy, okay? Overhead is... 72% 72% or 89% or 50%. Right. It's not 51 and a half sometimes on the months that end in Y and then on my H months. It's <laughs> inevitably, they have a much rosier picture painted in their head than when I actually dive into the numbers. And I say, uh-huh. so doctor, what's your treatment acceptance ratio? Uh... What do you mean? I'm like, okay, if, I, if you have to ask me what I mean, then I, it means you're not tracking it. And that's okay. That's why I'm here. Right. With the amount that you present, how many patients schedule? What's that uh, ratio? If I present $100,000 <laughs> in treatment, yeah, is 
you know, are $50,000 getting scheduled? Is $5,000 getting scheduled? And again, it's usually, oh, it's really good. I'm like, what does really good mean? This is not tied. Like, this is a number. I want to know a number. <laughs> well, you know, our schedule is always full. I'm like, that's not what I asked you. Right. <laughs> so exactly. then I dive into it and I'm like, your acceptance rate is below 50%. What? No. And I mean, you know, not for everybody, but some of the offices that I had looked at. So then it becomes a question of, okay, part of the reason that you're not communicating with your patients is because you're not communicating with your team and your yeah. team can't isn't trained on how to communicate with your patients either. Like this is mm-hmm. a group effort here. For sure. With my last practice, our acceptance rate was over 90%. And I did big cases. We're talking mm-hmm. big dollar cases and often on the consult. I haven't even done a full exam yet. And I presented sort of a general estimate of what I think it's going to be. And they are booked for the new patient visit and sometimes even put a deposit down already. Let me just tell you what the pushback is I get because you and I are similar in this regard. I hear all the time when I used to do this treatment plan um, coaching. Now in classes, I get the same darn question. Okay, well, it's easy for you, Teresa, because you can talk to anyone. It's easy for you because you've been doing this a long time. And you could you could sell ice to a snowman. I mean, I've heard it all, right? It's like your excuse mm-hmm. for not saying, okay, well, how can I change to do this better? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, and I say this in all the classes, do not try to do it like I, I just did because it'll sound awful. Like mm-hmm. I won't sound good coming out of you. You won't sound good, like vice versa. But that is what they say back. Do they say that to you? Well, it's easy for you to say you've got this personality. And of course, and I, I'm terrified of everything. So so how do you break that down? That's a great question, Teresa, because I do often, especially when I first start working with a doctor and they'll present this challenge to me when I'm on my biweekly call with them. You know, hey, Geraldine, today I had this thing happen with this patient and my team member did this. And I, you know, I don't understand why she talked to her like this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, here's how I would have presented it. And then the doctor will say, See, why can't you just say it like that? And I say, <laughs> because I've been saying it for 20 years like that. Right. You think I said it like that the first time I said it? No. What I present <laughs> to teens all the time is this. Anything you want to master, you have to practice. Uh-huh. Your verbal skills and learning how to communicate with people is just as important to practice as your dental and clinical and technical skills. 100%. And if you want to be successful, think about the hours and hours and hours that an actor spends on a role where he or she may be talking for five minutes. Oh, yeah. And they may end up getting a supporting actor Oscar for it. Do you think it took them five minutes to win that Oscar? No, it took hours and hours of prep. And is your job less important than an actor on a stage or behind a camera? Oh, it's more important. It's more important. There's like health at risk. Yeah, it is. And, you know, when they say, well, I don't want to have to learn how to do these other things. I'm like, well, if you went and lived in a foreign country for a year, would you not learn the language or would you just expect that everyone's going to speak English to you? Because that's kind of arrogant. <laughs> it is. You're right. That's a good way of looking at it. And so say it's somebody that is absolutely, they're not going to move on this. Why do they not hire somebody that can do it? Like there's got to be a partner in the office that could at least yep. do it. I mean, my boss was really good at it, but no doubt I was better at it. So when he goes on to another one, I mean, I would go in and, and, but he could do it, but I think he'd rather somebody else do it. So why not hire a treatment coordinator that nope. could do that? I mean, if you, if that's your shortcoming and you, you know, it's like, you just, it's too big of a hill to overcome. Then bring in somebody. I mean, why, mm-hmm. why wouldn't they do that? Yeah. Many times there are plenty of people that are on the team that when I first come into their practice, especially if the culture is really hurting, mm-hmm. when we are under stress, we revert to 
whatever our strongest personality type is then becomes one of our weaknesses, right? And we right. use it in not a great way. You know, for instance, as I said, as a high D, when I am great, I am motivator. I, you know, I get things done. I'm a leader. When I am in a bad emotional state, I'm a dictator. I am snarky. <laughs> I am dictatorial. When you realize that if the entire office is under stress, no one is showing up in her, as her best self. And it's figuring out once I can take away some of that cultural issue, you know, like sort of clear the air almost. I always start out with teams and say, listen, I'm going to ask you for a huge favor here. Can we wipe away the past? Can we pretend Man. that this is the first day that you're all starting to work together? Can you agree not to bring up junk that happened yesterday, a week ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. I know that that's a huge ask. Uh -huh. And I know that not everyone's going to do it overnight because no one's going to do it overnight. But my question to you is this, how committed are you to having the best practice and best life as possible? Because if you don't want that, you may think that you don't want that right now, but give it some time. Right. If you truly get to the point in three months, six months, and you realize that where the practice is going is not where you want to go, it's okay to part ways. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No hard feelings. It's not personal. It's just that sometimes people, they may be great people, but they're just not the right fit. Uh -huh. And I think that doctors, especially now with the way that the hiring is where, uh -huh. you know, the job market is so tight and I hear this all the time and I'm like, doctors, if there's one thing I can tell you is this for every position, except for hygiene, stop looking in dentistry, look outside of dentistry. I hire yes. people out of hospitality for the past 20 years. Okay. My best clinical assistant ever, she used to be the manager for Bonanza, which is like, you know, a Golden Corral kind of a place. She was the manager oh, yeah. there for 14 oh, years. I haven't okay? heard of that place in a long yeah. time. Holy cow. Yeah. So she was my patient for about a year and a half. And uh -huh. because I connected with all my patients, I knew that she, you know, she told me that she had just left this job. And I'm like, oh my gosh, but Karen, you've been there for 14 years. She says, yeah, I know, but I just was getting burnt out, Dr. Alfie, and I wanted to just take a break. And, and I said to her, have you ever thought about dentistry? She's like, well, yeah, I told you, you told me I have to come in and have that crown done. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> not receiving, giving. Have you ever thought about giving dentistry? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She said, well, I never really thought of it. And I said, well, listen, Karen, I said, you're the exact kind of person I want on my team. I said, you already know everybody here. They all love you. You love all of us. And I'm always looking for people that are smart, that are looking to change, which you obviously are, that are coachable, which I could tell that she was. She was very easygoing personality. I said, I think you'd be great at it. I would challenge you to take a chance with this. And she came back a couple of weeks later and, you know, she was with me until we sold the practice, like uh -huh. over six years. And wow. we were the exact opposite personality types, which is why we worked together awesome because we both realized it. And so all yeah. the things that I sucked at, she was great at and loved doing. And the things that she didn't like doing, I took over. Yeah. So it was perfect. So what you were just saying, like, can you have a buddy in the office that fills in your gaps? Yes, that's the best possible team. The best hires I had were from the jewelry business. So oh, fabulous. I, I mean, yeah. they just, they didn't care about money. They were like, yeah, $50,000 pay up. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was amazing. And then, and then of course, the, the personality to talk to somebody about that. I mean, talk about identifying motivations and wants and needs like immediately. So uh, they were very good at that. But I, I, I have to agree. I love people in the dental field. I want more people in the dental field. But, you know, you don't limit yourself. And I just read somewhere, you know, always be hiring, always have yep. those ads going out there and just keep it running and don't, you know, don't worry about pulling it and, oh, now we need to run an ad. Just run an ad all the time. 
okay. and just get that out there. And because right now, I think people are going to start coming back into the workforce. You know, the economy is, you know, it is what it is. People are yep. going to start coming back into the workforce. We're already seeing, you know, some hygienists and assistants coming back. Yep. What worries me is the admin side, because I see so many of my admin colleagues that are wanting to work from home and they're all wanting to work for remote billing companies now. And yeah, I think the grass is not always greener on the other side. So that's probably a different podcast episode. But um, <laughs> but being an entrepreneur is not for the faint at heart. I mean, talk about risk. That's tough stuff. You're yet to be made of you have to be okay with the phone not ringing for a while. And you're like, okay, I, I, nobody <laughs> knows who I am. You know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, Teresa, because I was just talking to a, a another doctor yesterday that I had just met. And I said, I had a very successful practice in New England and had sold that, moved to Chicago, a thousand miles away from everybody I knew. I knew three people in the city when I moved to Chicago. <laughs> I was working for another do doctor expecting to buy as a partner. And after a short period of time, I just realized it wasn't the right fit for me. Um, you know, I'd been out maybe 10 years, 12 years, and I had enough knowledge and enough backbone to say, it's time for me to just do my own thing. Like, I just need to build what I want. Right. Then nine months, my practice was open. I had zero patients. I had my team in place. I already had the team trained. Everything was ready to go. Yep. I was marketing for three to six months before my practice even opened. I had my website up and running. And I took that time to prepare so that as soon as that first patient crossed the threshold, we were ready to wow them. And I started out as a fee-for-service, 100% practice. It was Everyone paid me at the time of service. There was no billing. We would process their insurance for them, but I was not accepting any assignment about that. And it's not just because I was doing mostly cosmetics. My practice was about 80% discretionary, uh -huh. but I still had bread and butter patients. Yeah. Everything else we did was so head and shoulders above what other people were doing, not just the dentistry, but the experience that every patient had, the fact that we never roller skated dentistry. I was never working on two people at the same time. Uh -huh. And, you know, yeah, my fees were higher to justify being able to do that, but they got a better service because my fees were higher. So I didn't worry about my overhead because we got to deliver the service that we wanted. And so having a super clear vision about that is so important. And I remember it was maybe a month or two after I'd opened and one of the Patterson or Shine reps had come by to visit and was doing a walkthrough and he just looked at me and he said, Dr. Avi, I don't know how you sleep at night. And I said, why are my bags <laughs> really bad? Do I need a different concealer? What's going on? And he said, no, like, aren't you just, aren't you just like a nervous ball of, you know, aren't you just a nervous wreck? And I said, about what? He said, well, because you built this, you know, this brand new practice and, you know, it's a startup in a new city. And I said, yeah. And so he's like, I just, that would be freaking me out. And I said, listen, I said, the difference between me and a lot of other people is this. I said, it may look like I did a very risky thing. If you write it all down on paper, it looks like a stupid thing for someone at 34 to do, but I did it. You know why? Because I believed 100% in what I wanted, right? Yes. I was super clear about my vision. I had it. So it was crystallized. I had like the blueprint of how I was going to get there written out before I even went to the bank to ask for a loan. I didn't actually have a business plan. I never did. Yeah. I just went in and I wowed my banker with my passion. In fact, he said to me when we got done talking, he said, Dr. Alvey, I've been doing this since 92. And this was 2004. Uh -huh. And he said, and I've never met anyone with as much passion for what they do as you. How can we help? And I said, I need X amount of dollars. He said, okay. It was literally a handshake deal, Teresa. That's beautiful. That's awesome. And, but you know, that that's what I think 
so many people, you know, get into trouble in their practices because they lose sight of why they're doing what they're doing or they uh-huh. never knew really. They just thought like, oh, I'm going to buy a practice or I'm going to build this practice. But they never really pictured what they wanted it to be like. So if you're trying to be everything to everybody, you're going to be nothing to nobody. Oh, so you for have sure. to figure out like you want to have an emergency based practice. Awesome. I can help you get there too. It's a totally different model, but the the systems are the same. The way we treat our patients are the same. There's just tweaks, right? But it's all about why are you doing what you're doing? Because if you don't have a vision for your practice, it's like going on a road trip where you don't know where you're driving to and you're not really sure how much gas you have in the tank. And you're not really sure if your tigers are in good shape. And, you know, by the way, you've got that other guy in the back who's been belching for four hours. And so it's like, like, (laughs) (laughs) make sure you're prepared and pick the right people to go with you is my point. So you said 2004. And I know people are like, oh, my gosh, that's like that was like the good old days. But, you know, that's 20, almost 20 years ago. Okay, so not too far away, but that's not a crazy amount of time. And what we have now in our industry, I mean, pandemic, certainly accelerated this but what we have is i i get this fear this desperation it's like a whiff of desperation when i talk to people in my classes and you know it's how do i code to get around this and how do i do this and i can't leave this network because of this this and this and then you have a very it feels like a large majority but it's a small amount of dentists who are like just drop everything there's this feeling of desperation amongst ppo providers and it is possible to stop and do what you did, which is focus on what you want. And mm-hmm. if it works for you, you can do it this way. Like y- you taking money and billing as a courtesy like that. Those are truly the good old days, but there's lots of offices still doing that. So there's no mm-hmm. reason why you can't do that. It's just that are you going to be expanding into DSO levels with that business model? Maybe not, but you're mm-hmm. going to be happy. You're going to be productive. <laughs> you're going to have great team members. It's just it's a different business model and it may not be for everyone and i think that's what you're saying is be clear about it because if you want to make as much money as possible and position your practice for sale then maybe participation is the way to go but if you want to work less work smarter i guess is really the right term and Mm -hmm. enjoy going to the office every day maybe your business model needs a tweak Mm -hmm. the hamster wheel that we were on before covid Mm-hmm. has not gone away mm-hmm. now it's like it's more of like a longer treadmill like people <laughs> <it's really> yeah. <laughs> treadmill. <laughs> i mean do you hear that from ppo offices because i know you you were able to do this without a heavy insurance influence is something you and i talked about in the career workshop because i was like oh you're a unicorn but you really weren't <laughs> but you really weren't yeah. at that no. point. i mean you weren't so what do you hear from dentists who feel like they're in that situation that's a great question Teresa, because i do hear that all the time and i uh-huh. agree with you not every office should be fee for service. Right. It depends on the kind of dentistry you want to do, the type of community you want to serve, how many days you want to work, how much money you want to make. You have to ensure that your customer service is bar none if you're going to be uh-huh. a fee for service office. So the reality is, even when I talk to doctors who are thinking, I want to get out, I will say to them, listen, let me come and look at your office. Let me meet your team. And I will let you know when I think you might be able to drop a few. Because if they're inundated, you know, one of my clients that I had worked with for a number of years, when I first started working with her, she was in over 30 plans in direct network with 30 plans or more. It may have even been more. I I honestly don't even remember. Do you know how much work that is administratively? You know how much money they were losing every single day without even realizing it? I don't even want to think about it. I could take a vacation for 20 years with that money. Oh, easily, (laughs) right? But in the course of 
18 to 24 months, Teresa, we got her out of every single plan. She is now 100% on a network. She still will take assignment of benefits from some of the companies. She's mm -hmm. only under one umbrella now. She's only, again, like she's, you know, she's not in network with them, but she'll process for them and she'll take assignment of benefits. Delta, her patients pay in full because you know how Delta is. That's like a whole right. other, I mean, that's, that's a 75 hour podcast about those <laughs> people. Don't get me going on that. I will jump off my soapbox now. <laughs> when I first started there, there is no way that I thought her, her office could not have done it when I first started working with them. They were, it was strained culture no trust between team members, everybody acting out, you know, some passive aggressively, some aggressively, some shutting down, you know, again, uh, it's how people react under stress. Yeah. And the doctor was burnt out, understandably, you know, and she's one of the most wonderful people you'll ever meet in your entire life. And her team was too. It's just that they couldn't show their best selves because of the stress that everybody was under. Did they want me there at first? No. They knew that they were all stressed, but you know, who's this chick coming in telling me that I'm doing ah. everything wrong? I'm like, I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying that right. if you look at it from a very scientific perspective, do you feel like what you're doing is working well for you right now? So maybe there's another way. Let's see what we can do. And, you know, uh -huh. a couple of team members fell off at some point and she replaced, you know, she kept upgrading her team. And That's at this awesome. point, you know, it's just, it's a great group of, of wonderful women who support each other. They all truly have each other's back. You know, she was able to cut back how much she was working. She had brought an associate in. You know, she never once cared about the finances, but I will tell you, Teresa, that in the time that she worked with me, her production went up over 50% in wow. 18 months time and her collections were over 35% improvement and her overhead dropped about 18%. That's a big drop. Holy cow. So now is she less stressed? Is she more of a pleasure to talk to? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're stressed. I mean, and it's no knock on doctors, but they're not like we don't have fun conversations when we have that first like strategy call, you know, and, <laughs> and that's that's how it goes. Like they're very like oh my gosh, like I, this is what's going on. And, and can you just do this? And can you fix this? And I'm like, hold on. It's a one hour strategy call. I can't think yeah. As we go on, maybe two years later, because I don't do the full coaching you do, but maybe two years later, we'll check back in. And it is a very relaxed, different doctor. Do you find that when, when all of that stress kind of is lifted? There's always going to be something, right? And, uh -huh. you know, whenever we start a call, it always starts out with, okay, tell me your wins. Because I always want them to constantly train themselves to be in the mindset to look for the things that are working well and acknowledge them. Because that does do something to your brain chemistry that when you stay in a more grateful and looking for opportunities type of mindset, guess uh -huh. what? They show up, right? And so training yourself to constantly be looking for, I don't care if it's a tiny win. It doesn't all have to be like, I just won the Super Bowl. Right, right. The more you focus on it, the more that you'll notice and the more that you get. And so we always start with that. And then we, we pivot into what I call CDAs, which is challenging challenges, demanding attention. Uh. And one of the most important things that I can train my doctors on is what is most important right now? You're, you're, you're crying at me about 10 things. And uh -huh. I get what you are because you're stressed and you're an emotional wreck right now. But what's the one most important thing that we need to focus on right now? What's the one thing that's going to make a difference if we can start to attack this problem and get it taken care of now? Interesting. Okay. Because that, that's what happens, right? You get when you're in that crazy busy mode, right? Which there's a great podcast, by the way. Her name is Dr. Daria Long. Okay. She does a TED talk. It's like 10 minutes. She's an ER doc. And the name of her podcast, the, the name of her episode is how to triage your crazy busy life. And she oh, talks no. about how important your mindset is. 
She said, you come into my ER, we never use the term crazy busy. We are ready. Oh, look at that. Because when you're crazy busy, that's when you get tunnel vision, right? And that's when you get that white noise in your ears. And you can't think uh-huh. when you're in that mode because your brain is just in fight or flight or stop mode. That's and very so, true. Right? So when yeah. you say instead, okay, truly that whole taking five deep breaths really does make a huge difference. I always like to evaluate things like in the general scheme of my life, is this going to matter in a year? That's a tough question. And if I say no, and I'll say, okay, is it going to matter in six months? Uh-huh. Is it going to matter in three months? And if I can't get it, that it's if it's not going to matter in a month, why am I wasting my energy stressing out about it today? If it's a pet project, though, people, it's hard for them to let go of it. I can well, see how that can be difficult. Well, then it's cost, right? Then right. it's the cost fallacy where it's, well, but I've been working at this and, you know, I'm like, you know, do you think that if you just waste another 17 hours, you're going to magically get those 17 hours back? Because that's the one commodity we never get back. I can I always make more money. I can never get more time. Absolutely. So figure out where to spend your time so it's efficient and profitable for you. And I don't just mean financially. I love it. I need to have you back for another one because we didn't even get into you have four pillars of business that I wanted to talk about. And look at this. I knew we were going to go up to time. (laughs) Didn't I tell you this? Like, so you did. You were right as always. But tell me your. (laughs) See, there's. There's my knowledge language. See, see people, see how she just Teresa threw that out was there? 100% correct, and she has the data to prove it. <laughs> That's how you talk to me, apparently, is by telling me I'm right and that the data backs me up like that. That's, but, that's my love language. I mean, you are right. <laughs> da- data backs you up, Teresa. I'm like, oh, I love you. <laughs> so quick, real quick, tell us your four pillars, because I, I mean, because you hear all the time, here are the systems you need to nail. And then everybody's got like five different ones, six different ones, seven different ones. Kathy Jamison, who I love and admire. I grew up learning her. I think it's like 23 systems in the office you must master. And I was like, as a new manager, I was like 23. So like I pick one a day, like what do we do here? So, but I mean, it was great advice, but I needed to prioritize. So tell me your much more simplified, I hope, four pillars. <laughs> so yeah, so with my with my company now, it's called Get Ahead Coaching and Consulting. And when I first start working with clients and we get these in place in their practices, because I do believe that a practice without structure is never going to be sustainable long-term. And so basically I looked at all the areas of the practice and where are the areas that we need to focus our energies? So there's basically four areas, the people, which is mostly your team, right? And okay. also, your, you know, how you deal with your patients. Sales and marketing, because if you can't close your treatment plans and you can't find the right patients to come in, and that, that's a whole other discussion for us too, Teresa, is like, for sure, is your marketing working? It probably is. It's just that you don't know what you're looking for and your team doesn't know how to answer the phone, but that's a whole mm-hmm. other issue. That's so, an area there's no clarity. I find when I ask what's your marketing strategy, they're like Facebook ads. I'm like, no, that's how you do it. Yeah. Uh, marketing <laughs> strategy is a whole nuance. No, that would be a great topic. So I'm sorry, number three. Number three is systems. So like uh-huh. everything that you need to run the practice. And the fourth is finance. And I always list finance last because again, when the first three are taken care of, unless you're completely mismanaging your money, the money uh-huh. will show up. And there's no reason why you can't get your profitability and your overhead to a very healthy area while taking great care of your team, while having the best technology and having the best computer system and software and, you know, really getting to the point where I know you mentioned that a lot of your manager colleagues are considering doing remote work and working for outsourcing companies. 
Well, I got to tell you, Teresa, I tell a lot of my doctors, outsource everything you can. Because especially if they're yes. processing insurance, why in the world do you want to stress your admin team about that? They don't know what they're doing. And I don't mean that as a criticism, but it's not their wheelhouse. They have too have many a things company. to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's so, it's a labyrinth, right? Well, and, and you have the people who are in doing insurance by choice. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of accidental insurance coordinators. Yes. <laughs> when you're, you're doing it like me, I was the most talented at having patient and financial conversations. But because mm -hmm. I was so good at the numbers and spreadsheets, as we talked about, I spent mm -hmm. most of my time on that. And I'm thinking back, like I I don't even tell my my boss this. I hope he's not listening. Imagine how many cases we didn't close because I wasn't the one in there doing it. Like I think about yeah. that. You know, that's the loss there. If we had outsourced that. We didn't have outsourcing when I was the insurance coordinator. No. It was either do it or, or we don't get paid. So that was totally different. So I, I agree with the outsourcing, and what, but I'm going to push back on one thing. Yeah, sales. We're not in the business of sales. Dentistry uh -huh. is about sales. What do you say to that? We'll call it treatment plan acceptance and marketing. See, now you're talking their language. See? Hey, right? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the reality. You know, I learned from my first coach when um, we were having a challenge with a couple of our team members when we first started working with her. And she taught us that on their next pay period, we signed their check where my partner and I would assign. Uh -huh. And we wrote your patient and we gave everybody their yeah. checks and we waited, you know, because we always gave them to them. This was again, before they had direct deposit and all this stuff. And so we gave it to them before lunch. <laughs> and we're, we're both looking at our watch like, yeah. How long do you think it's going to take for the first one to walk in? And we knew who it was going to be. And it was her. And she came in and she's like, <laughs> Dr. Alfie, what's going on with this? And I looked at her and I said, what do you mean? She says, I can't cash this. And I said, well, I, we do have your real checks. But this brings up an important point. So we're going to come in and talk to you right now. So we came in and we said to everybody, like, listen, the reason that we did that was to drive home the point that when you don't have your patient as the primary focus of every single thing that you do, and why, then none of you is ever mm -hmm. going to get paid in the long run because if we don't have patients who love us and send us more people that are just like them, the practice is not going to be profitable, which means that none of you is going to have a job. And we love all of you and we want you to all have a job. That mm -hmm. was the best way that we could kind of, you know, gently slap you in the face sometimes to get your attention. <laughs> but, you know, I don't pay you. I'm a conduit. I'm the middleman. Mm -hmm. If the money isn't coming yeah. in because patients don't accept treatment because they don't trust us or they don't believe us or we haven't talked to them in the right way or we haven't made it easy for them to figure out how to fit into their time and their budget, guess what? If I don't get paid, you can't get paid. It's not Sales is not a bad word, right? It is a yes. transfer of skill for money. Look at all these jarisms you're giving me. The, I'm not, oh, I don't pay. This is great. I don't pay you. I'm just a conduit yeah. for the money. That's that's a great way of thinking about it. So managers, if you're listening to this, think about taking that tack. Yeah. <laughs> I think if anybody's listening here and they're like, I need a coach. She's amazing. Then call her. Because <laughs> honestly, like I can vouch for you for 100%. I think you're fantastic. So tell them how you they can find you. And hopefully you get lots of calls because again, I would hire you if I were in the business for sure. Oh, thank you. I Therese. would 100%. Wow. The feeling is 100% mutual. And as you and I have been in this industry for many decades at this point, the reality is that the more people that I meet, the fewer people I keep in touch with regularly because yeah. I have less and less time. So yeah. the time that I choose to spend with certain people is very carefully calculated based off of my mutual love and respect. 
and the fact that, you know, you and I just, from the moment that we met, we were just, we got each other, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. um, So for any of you that weren't ready to turn me off after five minutes, if you'd like to talk to me further, (laughs) (laughs) you can reach me. I have a couple of ways. My website will be, it's up and running right now, but it hasn't done final tweaking yet. But my website is getahead.com getaheadcc.com. My cell phone is 312-479-4427. I recommend you send me a text first and then I'll get in touch with you. And Uh you can email me at Gerilyn, G-E-R-I-L-Y-N at getaheadcc.com. And all of this will be in the show notes. And I hope that you look her up. And this was hilarious. I know I'm going to re-listen to this one. (laughs) Just because I got to catch all your Jairism so I can put them in the show notes because you had a couple of good ones. So I thank you very much for this. This has been, I knew this was going to be fun, but thank you oh, very yeah. much for, for doing this. Dear listeners, uh, just like Geraldine said, I know that it is tough to choose what to spend your time on. And you know, I appreciate so much that you spend your time with me. We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.